0: This episode of Rick and Rick Rule the World is brought to you by Taskin, the first name in ultra stylish premium quality travel gear like the exquisitely designed Taskin One expandable backpack. With nine practical variations, the Taskin One is always the right size for wherever life takes you next. Save 30% on your next purchase when you use the promo code R&R Take 30. That's R&R Take 30 at TaskinSF.com.
1: Next up on an all-new Rick and Rick.
0: Pepsi's got its first new logo in 14 years, but is it the choice of a new generation or just the same old, same old?
1: Cottonelle Ultra Clean gets up close and personal with tales from down there.
0: And NASA names the best and worst sci-fi movies of all time.
1: And why Bud Light missteps may have sparked March Through May madness, plus loaded questions and a whole lot more.
0: And it all starts right here, right now.
1: On the one show that's always got a Rick up its sleeve. And everybody rules the world. All right, well, welcome to a crash new episode of Rick and Rick Rule the World. I'm Rick Matheson, and I am joined, as always, by my good friend, Johnny Cash. <laughs> I mean, Rick Wooden. Hello, how you doing, Rick?
0: Oh, I'm doing great. You know, I just got back from a couple work trips and I have to say I was traveling all over Europe. I was in Amsterdam. I was in London. I was in a couple other European cities. Nice. And I tell you what, it always happens. But when one of the places I go, I end up running into somebody who's actually listened to an episode and wants to debate something with me. Oh, and geez. this trip was no different. It was it was kind of fun to listen to people argue with me over, you know, what the most anticipated movies are of the year and what our choices were and all that. So it's a lot of fun.
1: Good. I'm glad there were sparking conversations and debate. And I was seeing some of your Facebook posts and stuff, and I was like, where in the world is Rick Wooten? (laughs) That should be a new game on the show.
0: No doubt. This has definitely been a pretty high travel time for me. I'd just taken that trip to Florida, then, you know, this European one. But I'm back in uh, stable ground for a little bit, so.
1: Always good to have a, a home nest to come back to. Now, you went to Amsterdam again.
0: Yeah, I had never in my life been to Amsterdam until 18 months ago. And the reason for that is, you know, when I was growing up, I'd listen to people talk about marijuana and prostitution. <laughs> you know, it was like, I, I don't know. I don't re- I don't really want to go there. So it just wasn't on my list. And so somebody said, oh, you got to go here for work. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. And they got there and I fell in love. I mean, it is an amazing, t- and not with the drugs and the prostitution, but with the town itself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> in addition to those things, the town is great. <laughs> well,
0: I, I didn't know that it was the oldest town in Europe. I didn't know that it had these canals. I, I mean, there was so much. I was so ignorant yeah. to how cool it is. And now I I look at it with just completely different view. And I've I've, I've really enjoyed it. And the people there are just amazing. They're really cool riding bikes everywhere. And every time I've gone, I've, I've, I've done one of the tours and it's just fantastic.
1: What's also fantastic is the show where we share our unique blend of news and views from the worlds of marketing, media, tech, and pop culture. And this time out, it seems like we've got a kind of a combustible mix of all of the above. First up, Rick and Rick Radar Love in our look at some of the stuff that's hitting our radar these days. Rick, have you been able to get all the way through The Last of Us on HBO?
0: No, but I'm, I'm far enough to have an opinion. I, I think I'm about five episodes in at this point and really, really enjoying it. It's an off the hook. Amazing show.
1: I don't know if this is in all markets for our global audience. This is a show that's based on a 2013 video game by the same name, The Last of Us. I think two different video games. There's like a sequel to it. And it's kind of a zombie apocalypse thriller set 20 years into a pandemic. And it follows Joel, who's this middle-aged kind of smuggler played by Pedro Pascal and this teenager named Ellie played by Bella Ramsey. And she's immune. And he's trying to get her from Boston across the US It's like Montana or something, where there are still scientists who they think can use Ellie's blood to develop a cure. And it's hard to imagine the show not getting nominated for a truckload of Emmys. It's fantastic.
0: Yeah, no, and I think I've mentioned to you before, but I have played the game. So one of the the great things about the show is they capture some of the essence of what made the game so fun when you were playing it back in the day. And if you know what you're looking for, you can kind of see it when they're playing it, where you're like, why don't you just go do that? And it's like... It's because the game's a little bit on rails where it kind of forces you down a path. And so the show kind of does that at times too. Like there's a there's a scene where he's got to get around an obstacle to get behind a door to unlock the door. And they've actually done an amazing job at it. And they made it fun. And we talked about this on the show before. I could give you a million movies that were made out of video games that were terrible. So it's very rare when they, they capture one and they they actually do it really well. This one, I, I definitely say they, they did.
1: Someone said, this wasn't a situation of a... TV show made out of a video game. The game was a TV show that happened to be a game. It was a very dramatic and cinematic story. Its first incarnation just happened to be in a video game format. And some of the voice actors from the game are characters in the show. Yeah,
0: that's amazing. You know, one of the things that I've been really impressed about with the show is the variety of people who actually watch it and enjoy it. It isn't just gamers. It isn't just men. It isn't just women. It's like literally everybody. And somehow a sci-fi show about mutant fungus that takes over human beings has become kind of a mainstream thing and it's kind of cool to see and and a lot of it is based on the fact that they tell this emotional story they actually have depth of characters and you talked about Joel and Ellie and the the challenges they have while they're traveling across the US and that man versus nature, man versus man, like they've covered all those areas, even man versus self and so literally I don't know anybody who doesn't like the show, it's pretty amazing
1: Yeah, I have yet to hear someone go, eh, it was just okay. Everything's high quality in this show cinematography the acting casting the effects the special effects are incredible and it has been renewed for a second season I haven't seen when that's supposed to come out but if you haven't seen it folks you gotta see it on HBO
0: as long as we're talking about great shows that we watched I had a ton of time on flights to catch up on movies and this has been something you and I have been talking about where I felt really guilty there <laughs> were so many things I haven't seen and one of them was everything everywhere all at once have you seen yes, it yet
1: I did just recently yes it is a lot of fun. I will say that I get why it won all the awards this year, but I could see where it's not for everybody. Yeah. A lot of people would have a like, "Whoa, what the F yeah. am I yeah. watching right now? But I thought it was just a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I had uh, I had a blast. I didn't know what to expect going in. Yeah, And uh, I would have to say it didn't let me down because half the way through the movie, I still had no idea what the hell was going on. I, you know, they had Michelle Yeoh. She's been in all kinds of amazing stuff but never really got the, the credit she deserved. Jamie Lee Curtis, and then I'm going to butcher the name, but what is it, Kihu Kwan, yeah. who played, what is it, Half Pint? Yes. Is that what it was?
1: Yes, yeah. And yeah. Indiana Jones, yeah.
0: Yeah, honestly, they had a great slate of actors and actresses that just did an amazing job, and it was so much fun. There were a few scenes, though, I warned viewers, you may not want to watch it on a plane, because there was a, a couple scenes where I found myself covering up the screen because there were <laughs> about, like things flying through air, and I was like, holy cow, what am I watching on <laughs> But I I have to say, I I really liked it. I recommend it to everybody. I think it deserves some awards. I don't know that it deserved all the awards it got, though. I mean, it was good, but it wasn't like so good that it should have sweeped as much as it did, which may be an unpopular opinion, but I really, really enjoyed
1: it. No, I think that you probably are voicing the majority view. Like I said, I liked it, but I could see where it's not for everybody because it's so nutty. You know, I have to watch it again because there was a lot being said about the way we manage crises yeah. in our lives and our relationship to food in this movie. That definitely is worth yeah. a, a revisit, but I don't need to ever see the hot dog fingers universe <laughs> again, but it was entertaining once through that particular yep. part. I was actually getting kind of grossed out. <laughs> Absolutely. Next up, NASA's list of best and worst sci-fi movies of all time. It will be interesting to see in a future list of best and worst sci-fi movies from NASA, whether Everything Everywhere All at Once will make the list, but you sent over a piece where NASA did rate their best and worst sci-fi movies ever. And this was interesting, Rick. I don't know if you noticed this, but the article's dated January 6, 2011. So it's a little bit dated. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, but what's really interesting as I went through this is obviously there's nothing beyond 2011 on the best and worst of, but leading up to that point, among the worst they rated 2012, which, come on, that was terrible. That was terrible, yeah. The core I'm not sure I've ever seen. I have. It's terrible. Armageddon, which I wouldn't call that horrible. It was just a popcorn movie.
0: But but it's one that I saw once, and I'm fine with that.
1: Volcano from 1997. I have no recollection of.
0: Yeah, it was no good. I, I think I saw it on the Sci Fi Channel.
1: Okay, Chain Reaction, 1996. Keanu Reeves. Government plot to prevent the spread of some kind of technology.
0: Yeah, but here's my my problem. I love Keanu, and I don't remember this one. And so, if it really is that bad, I can pretend it didn't happen.
1: Yeah, I think he'd agree with you. <laughs> And then The Sixth Day, sadly, I do remember that one, and it really was awful. No. Now, this last one, What the Bleep Do We Know, 2004, I have never heard of. I have no idea what that is. Anyway, yeah. the best. Gattaca, 1997. Yes, very good yep. movie. Contact, 1997. I think I had that. that as one of my favorites. I think you did. Metropolis. I feel like that's just putting in a classic. The Day oh, the yeah. Earth Stood Still, 1951. I'm sure I've seen it. I don't have any recollection of it.
0: I, I've seen it, and it's really good.
1: Okay. And then Woman in the Moon from 1929 not familiar with.
0: I don't think I've seen that one either.
1: Things from Another World, Jurassic Park, 1993. Hey, I would not have thought that that would make the best of from NASA, but apparently yep. it did. Now, here's what's interesting, right? So I went through this list and then I said, well, what's come out since then that would make either side of this worst or best? So I went to Tech Radar and it has more recent lists. Their best list includes, for instance, Arrival from 2016 at number 12, and that's it. Oh, interesting. So, from 2011 through 2022, no recent movies were put on that list of best sci-fi movies of all time. And a slacker piece on the worst sci-fi movies of all time, it's loaded with more recent movies, <laughs> including the Emoji movie from 2017, which I'm sure was awful, and Drawn from 2015, I've never heard of. Left Behind, the first movie from 2014. I think I saw it, it yeah, it was awful. Future World from 2018. Do you remember a few Future World coming out in 2018. I have no recollection of that.
0: No, actually, I don't. And then
1: Cosmic Sin, never heard of, from 2021. They're all in the 10 worst sci-fi movies of all time. So I was trying to think, what is a movie that's recent that I would put to the best of list? I did think about everything all at once. Yeah. I don't know if I would put it up there, but maybe. What else? Oh, I would maybe say Tenant. I don't know if it's the best of all time, but that's a more recent sci-fi movie that I, I thought was quite yeah. good. But I was sitting there going, huh, I'm not immediately thinking of any.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let me let me think of what that for a second i i do have to say there's a few in my mind that i was surprised as not on this list even given the date so like as an example blade runner is not on there like i would have thought for sure blade runner or the matrix would would have made the list yeah or interstellar in 2014
1: yeah now is that best of it's certainly best of of last 10 years but i don't know if i'd put it on the list we, we should do another one of those lists coming up
0: i think i think it's time
1: all right listeners well we'd love to hear your point of view on best and worst sci-fi movies of all time we'll be right back after the short break hey rick and rick nation don't forget to check out our website at rickandrick.com it's double the rick in just one click At rickandrick.com. And welcome back to Rick and Rick Rule the World with Rick Matheson and Rick Wooten. And it's time for the good, the bad, and the marketing. Starting with Pepsi, which has introduced its first new logo in 14 years. And surprise, surprise, Rick, the internet doesn't hate it. (laughs) Well, I don't either, to be honest with you. To me, it looks like the old logo most of us grew up with.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's because old is new again. Yeah. It, uh, It definitely, I mean, everything from the font to the shape and everything else. Else. It just, I, like, if they didn't point out that it was a new logo, I would just think that it was kind of the old one still around. I, I wouldn't have picked up on it.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if that would be the case with a lot of consumers, because the new logo has the bold, all caps, Pepsi, and it is in the center of that circle with the red and the blue waves above and below it. And the article, it was Ink Magazine, they had the illustration of the logos through the years. And that convention is something close to what was dominant from 1950 through 1997. Right. Before they kind of shifted the Pepsi wordmark out of the sphere.
0: Yeah. You know, it's very familiar to what we grew up with, right? I mean, it was from what, 87 to 97? Yeah. They had, you know, that same logo that you and I grew up with. So for me, it just felt really familiar. Even the font they used felt like it. But when I compare it visually, it's nothing like the old one, but it somehow has like a reminiscent
1: feel to it. Yeah. It's an interesting typeface. I'm sure they just created it. It's not quite sans serif. It has some um, dissenting counters or the spaces that you'd normally see in the middle of circles, like at the top of the P's. And then there's that interesting, I don't know if it's an upstroke or a downstroke on the eye at the end, but for some reason, it's more interesting than being just sans serif. I yeah. think the old logo was sans serif or close to it, yeah. but I don't know if it's a retro feel. I don't know if that's quite right, but it's got a more of a timelessness and some interest to it. I also just like the way it plays with the other colors in the packaging. It pops. Pardon the soda pun there, What's <laughs> interesting and it kind of validates what we were just talking about here. So this article says that Pepsi's chief design officer, Mauro Porcini, says that despite the brief on the development of this new logo, he said this is the form, something close to it, that people think of when they think of Pepsi anyway. So the brand decided it couldn't ignore that kind of insight. So instead of rejecting it, they embraced it. And yeah, it's like obviously the point <laughs> of doubt.
0: You know, here's a, you know, a little bit of an aside. Here's one of the things I thought was really interesting about traveling in Europe recently. In the past, when I've gone there, you know I'm not a coffee drinker, so I'm always looking for some sort of a soft drink. And normally, I have to relegate myself to Coke Light, I think is what they called it. Coke Light's gone. It's Coke Zero everywhere. And that was kind of cool. And I would say as many places had Coke Zero as regular Coke. And I I saw the Pepsi Zero as well. So, you know, it's kind of interesting to see that they've actually adopted it, maybe even faster than we have here in the U.S. Yeah,
1: maybe. Now, did they adopt putting some actual ice in your glass?
0: (laughs) (laughs) And now that you say that, I don't think there was The time at which I ordered a drink and it didn't have ice in it. So maybe Oh, okay. Maybe they have come around to that one. Yeah, either
1: that or they go, oh, he's an American fill it with ice. (laughs) What's maybe not quite as nice is the Bud Light, the March Madness promo mess. So for folks who are outside of the U.S., Bud Light, the beer brand in the U.S., sparked sort of a backlash after transgender TikTok influencer Dylan Mulvaney posted a video promoting Bud Light's March Madness giveaway by showcasing, I guess, one of those personal. Personalized cans of Bud Light that the company had been sending out to influencers and had her picture on it. Pretty basic stuff, you would think, but no. This created quite a, a firestorm.
0: Yeah, personally, I wasn't offended by this. I, I thought it was like, oh, it was kind of interesting. As an advertising person myself, I thought, oh, that's a bold move, especially given the demographics of people who buy Bud Light or Coors Light. You know, and I thought it was kind of interesting. But my first reaction, it, to me, it didn't feel like it was authentic. It looked, it felt like they were trying too hard, yeah. and that was my reaction it was like, oh, that was a little bit weird. Like you kind of took it like too far in the way that you did that. Like, so what if you had Dylan do the thing? But like, to me, it just felt like they were trying really hard. And it, as soon as I saw it, I felt like, yeah, this is going to get some backlash. Did I expect it to go as far as it has? Not really. I mean, the article we were looking at, two of the executives are, are currently on leave. And that obviously there's ramifications, stock price dropped, you know, there's a boycott going on, which honestly is, in my opinion, is just a way. Overreaction. People shouldn't be this upset. You know, if they don't like it, they don't like it, move on. But, right. you know, anyways, that was
1: exactly the dueling impulses I had there. At first, okay, move on. Like, what, who cares? And then the other part of it is the reaction from Anheuser Bush yeah. to the flare up suggests that it was indeed no. just virtue signaling because yeah. it was like they didn't stand their ground on it at all. And it didn't help with people who maybe are more supportive of inclusivity or didn't care for, you know? Exactly.
0: You know, you just stated it really well. If it wasn't virtue signaling, I feel, and I'm judging, and I shouldn't be, but I'm acknowledging that I am. I have a bias towards seeing companies do things like this as a way to get attention versus really believing it. But to me, like, if they stood behind this, this is really what they felt, then they wouldn't have backed off. They would have said, hey, you guys were overreacting. Chill out. We still sell beer. We'll sell it to you. We'll sell it to anybody who wants it. What it actually makes me wonder is if, like, there wasn't alignment in the organization to go down this path and that a couple of people got caught with the proverbial pants down because they overstepped.
1: Well, one of the things that the company did say is that there would be more senior level oversight of these things, which does suggest there was a lack of alignment there. But to be fair to the people who were put on leave, I believe one of them was hired specifically to start to expand out from the base demographic segments that Bud Light already had inroads in, including women. So she probably was going down the right path. In terms of just sentiment, totally. But like we've just said, it also did seem like this is not fair to say, but almost like a cynical move to signal to everybody, see, get it, we're good.
0: Yeah, I feel like there was a marketing meeting and two executives said, "Hold my beer, I got this."
1: Pardon the pun. <laughs> cottonell toilet paper is out with four new spots that continue the brand's quote, "Down there" care <laughs> creative platform. Adweek reporting here, and and the series is called Tales from Down There. And I got to tell you, Rick. I I'm glad that they avoided the temptation to just call it Tales from the Crack. I think it would have been tempting to say that.
0: I I think their internal campaign name must have been that. (laughs) It (laughs) has That is too awesome. That is too awesome.
1: You know (laughs) You know they had the meeting and we're going to call this thing Tales from the Crack. No, no, no. We're going to call it Tales from Down There. Anyway, just to give you an idea of the spots from FCB Chicago, the first spot features this long-haired, leather-clad tattoo artist, I guess, named Kilby, who stops his work and kind of turns to us, the viewers, and tells us, sometimes my down there, gets as raw as an oyster bar after low tide. I'm very raw. That's why I use Cottonelle Ultra Comfort. Its soft-cleaning ripples are made for my sensitive down there. And in another, a mass transit writer, Alfred, tells us, after work, my down there gets swampier than bullfrog season on the bayou. As (laughs) FCB Chicago (laughs) Chief Creative Officer Andre Ordonez tells the pub, when we realized how many needs were going unmet in the category, we saw this as a timely opportunity to put people's needs front and center in our stories, creating another chapter of down there care. Sheesh. I'm grossed out by these, but I have to imagine that that it's a tough category. And you think back to poo Maybe you have to just go with it and gross people out to get attention. I don't know.
0: Well, and I wanna I wanna know what they mean by unmet needs. Right. I mean, are they basically saying that people who have these issues didn't have a toilet paper? Yeah, I don't. Know. I mean,
1: I don't know. <laughs> it's like what exactly is soft cleaning ripples? <laughs> so I, I guess the differentiator of this toilet paper is it's got little grooves for you to get the gunk out. Ha, 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 ha. Before we leave, Rick, why don't you share where folks can find you online?
0: Best way to get a hold of me is always on Twitter. I'm at Wooten, W-O-O-T-T-E-N. And how about yourself, Matheson?
1: My handle is at Rick Matheson on Twitter. And of course, you can subscribe to us on iTunes and everywhere that you get your podcasts. And you can listen to more archived episodes or read posts about each of our shows at rickandrick.com. Until next time, stay safe, keep each other safe, and keep on coming back to the one show where everybody's name is Rick.
0: And Rick. Everybody rules the world.